Yo! All you tried to step on my yo, but I just powered right through it. Hey. <coughs> I'll edit that out, maybe. Welcome nope. to the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. I'm not going to lie. Hey, you know that in, in Zoolander, when Hansel's like, I don't know what I'm doing here today, but I'm going to give him my all or whatever. Hey, Jason, I, what are we talking about today? I literally <laughs> don't know. <laughs> today, we are talking about the Morning Again LP as tradition dies slowly. Number Revelation 70. Records, number 70. 70. That's, you know what? That's kind of a bit like Rev 50 was kind of a big deal. 70. Hey, we are we are pushing forward. We are pushing through. Yeah, we yeah, missed yeah. everybody. I know people had a lot of people saying, "When are you getting back to it? When are you getting back to it?" And I said, "Be patient." Yeah, and been, now we got a lot of stuff. We, we got a lot of stuff in in the holster. Mm-hmm. I think uh, mm-hmm. in the pipeline, the pike line, pike line coming um, down that pike, coming down the pipe. Uh, so this summer you'll get a lot of content from us that will be yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it's the end of school. It's like the big, the solstice, there's a lot of stuff going on, but before we get too deep into the, the reads, I think it's time to. Hey, bit of bow to Casey from iodine records and for the amazing packaging job that Tom, the uh, amazing packaging job that Tom from man alive creative did on the quicksand slip 30th anniversary. This thing is insane. Hey, I, 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 I poured over this thing. I did too. Uh, I, I felt so fortunate to get this book and package. And I meant to make like a hard post on Instagram with a video of it. And then the day after I had that thought, I saw that Walter made a pretty good video um, talking about it. We but made man, one too. Hey. Hey. Hey, I wanted to do my own though, as a as a thanks to yeah. a personal thanks to iodine. It, I've never seen anything like this with a record for a post hardcore band. You know, like I collect books about bands, I collect records, but this it's like a zine book box set. It's it's great and it all looks so good. Jason, to steal J- something Jason said, uh, I, I forget where Jason. It may have been even in just the emails with Casey. Like this is like the gold standard for um, reissues, reissues, and yeah. the way that something should be treated as far as to honor a legacy because it's a pretty monumental thing. It's it's you know one of the the best records ever. Um, definitely one of the best in the genre of post-hardcore um, by a band that's still, you know, relevant and releasing music today. But just having this book with all the photos in it and the recollections and um, I mean, yeah, it's just like I just was smiling, looking through it, reading the yeah. stuff and, you know, seeing thoughts from people who you wouldn't think, you know, people from Anthrax and um you know, they got everybody. Paige Hamilton from Helmet. Brian uh, from Shadows Fall was in there, which I yeah, thought was cool. I did too, yeah. Uh Kate 08. 
Um, just a t- it's just and looking at all the old T-shirt designs they had there and uh, tour programs, flyers, all that stuff. Just really, really, you know, well done. Um, and we are gunning for this to happen in two years with manic compression. Yes. Uh, so everybody should like put those that energy out into uh, <laughs> the atmosphere. Also, I was going to say what blew me away when I pulled this out, the gold foil stamp on the back. I thought, God damn, that is awesome. Such a nice touch. Yeah. So that is, I was just going to say there's a limited amount of these. And as of this week, this will probably come out a week from now. There's still some at Rev HQ if you wanted to pick up the yep. book. And I think some at Iodine also. Siren Records has some. I was there last night. So you, you can, I believe you can call or do that online too. But I would say anybody that was on the fence, oh, it's a little, you know, it's a, it's a big undertake. It, yeah. It's worth it's worth every penny. It's like you you will receive it and be thankful that you did. And it looks great on the shelf. So um, and it sounds great. I played it. I have you know, this is where I get to, I have an original, um, but I have an original. I mean, this sounds great. It jumped out of the speakers, you know, from that first drum fill of Alan Cage. Um, yeah, it's I, essential. I learned how to play that fucking drum fill. Oh, what do you know about that? When, when Cloak Dagger practice, I said, call and teach me how to play that. I learned it. The That's all. Hey, just bit, trying to bit get my, of, yeah. <laughs> bit of butter the kernel. I just wanted to give myself some shine. Alan, watch out. Um, yeah, so, but yeah, Iodine. And Jason, real quick, Iodine just announced something else. Uh, yes. Hits close to home. Yeah, I mean, more than friends. Family, family of me, Mehe and Matt, their band No Man has signed to Iodine. So their next release is going to be on Iodine in 2024. If you go to the Iodine site, I believe they're doing a flexi single of a song they released called poison darts which is i think it's probably my no it's my second favorite song by them but it's an it's it's awesome it's a cool progression to see them coming to their own i've enjoyed seeing it through the years and so i'm pumped that they're working with casey on it so go see them at the fest in florida and hang out with jason and hang out with me while i sell t-shirts I got to say, even I was impressed by the song and I, I wasn't, you know, I, I was uh, surprised. I enjoyed it. The new song. It was better than anything I had. I had heard previous. So I'm looking forward to digging into that record when it comes out. Oh, yeah. Same. All right. Um, Hav, you got anything? I don't have anything right now. So let's dig in. We have. Uh, so who do we talk to for this one? John Wiley from uh, Eulogy and Eulogy Records Recordings Records huh? and uh, many, many, many South Florida bands as we will learn about. And uh, I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about it. Yeah, let's, nice let's, convo. Uh, let's let the interview speak for itself and then we'll talk after. Enjoy. Around. Oh, well, actually, we'll talk after only if you are a Patreon uh supporter so if you want to hear us talking a little bit extra about this record head over to patreon.com or i mean where it went 
podcast.com. It's been so long. I do I forgot how to even I know I noticed how we to don't, podca- how to podcast. We, we don't we don't do the I mean, some people may have argued, but I don't feel like we do that much self-promo. No, like we, we don't, don't tell people to rate. Like I listen to the podcasts and rate this, do this. We don't tell you to do much, but if yeah. you want to hear extra stuff, go to the Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. Go to where it went podcast.com and you can also get a fairly I'm not I, I'm not gonna no I'm no longer gonna say completely comprehensive <laughs> Revelation Records discography, but a, a fairly comprehensive one. Better than Wikipedia. I will say, yeah, Wikipedia is wrong. Hobbes is the best, and it is definitely the best up until what one? I think it goes up until one eighty or something. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's quite some time. So, okay, well, it's time to kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it, kick it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good place to start because we're here today to talk about As Tradition Dies Slowly, which came out in 1998. But before mm-hmm. that, there were six morning again releases between 1996 and 1998 right let's kind of like briefly touch on that and talk about just a real quick like elevator speech about the formation of morning again because from my perspective morning again was an uh a branch on the tree of culture right well yeah yeah for sure yeah um Um, and so it Tell tell us about that. Um, you know, culture, man. Uh, I love culture, but that was like my first hardcore band that I was in, and uh, you know, I I had met Rich, and that's kind of you know that's kind of how I became from like some like punk metal kid to like listening to hardcore um, around that time, and so we did culture, and then you know. My memory is pretty terrible, but at some point I was not in the band anymore. Um, I will say this is actually a funny story. The breaking the breaking point was um, the night we did, we played a show in Melbourne, and I think it was with Shelter, and uh, we were selling the Ceremony of Fire CDs. They just came out, so I was like super amped. Like, yeah, man, I'm vegan. I'm strange. going to kill everybody. We got the CD we're on. Like, loving it. We're stoked, and then uh, somehow some money went. The money for those CDs went missing that night. Um, you know, everyone's been in the band. I'm sure feels it. And at that point, I was just like, "Okay, I'm done with the band." Um, and I was just kind of hanging out for a little bit. And then next thing you know, you know, I, I had this urge to write these songs, and and it's this guy Louis that I met. He was the first drummer, and. Um, you know, we were just kind of messing around playing like different stuff. We were in a band called Organized Pain before that. And uh, we're just like, hey, yeah, let's uh, let's write some new stuff. So we wrote some new stuff. You know, we tried out a couple different singers. Um, and then somehow 
Damien would have a better memory of this than I did. Somehow, uh, me and Damien ended up playing in a band together again. And uh, from there, I mean, I the one thing I will say about Damien, I love Damien. Um, he he brought out a lot of different things in me. Um, without him, a lot of this, this music would not have been possible. And um, I think that we were both very excited uh, to work together again. We did morning again. Um, you know, fast forward, things didn't work out. And, uh, you know, that's how we found Kevin. We actually met Kevin on, I think it was one of the first morning in tours. We were in Ohio. We played with Outcast. So, um, you know, at that point, Damien wasn't in the band. Kevin moved down from Ohio. And then, you know, it's kind of, I guess, spend an hour talking about the members. Um, you know, <laughs> but I, I mean, when I do something, like, I go hard and, um, like, I just had a lot of music in my head that I wanted to get out. And that's how we ended up with so many releases. And, uh, you know, that was, that was my focal point in life at the time, you know? And I think that, uh, I also felt like from a marketing perspective, I guess, like, it's so weird to talk about that back then, you know, marketing, like who, how did you really market your band? Like we didn't have cell phones, you know, we didn't, you know, so we market our band by like going to shows, going to festivals, meeting people, you know, talking to them. And uh, the way that I looked at it, I said, you know what, like all these labels kind of know certain groups of people or have certain fans. I said, why don't, you know, let's just try to put out as much music as we can as quality with different people to get it out to different people. And uh, to me, it just made sense, you know, and uh, luckily it, it worked out like we didn't, we never forced anything. We always had songs that we needed to find out. Who can we find out to do, put these songs out? And then it just kind of kept progressing until we ended up on Rev. Yeah, the first, uh, talking about the first few releases that are on other labels. I mean, you got mm -hmm. uh, Conquer the World, which had put out Chokehold mm -hmm. and a few other releases mm -hmm. by then. And then Moo um, Cow which you know yeah. put out like disembodied and then you guys yeah. have the split with shoulder which is an excellent yeah. record thank you and then good life which at this point and this that's the first release with kevin right is the martyr record um yeah i for, i believe so and i'm sorry but like no all my good memories like super shot from <laughs> there i mean that you know like i said there was so much stuff going on back then and i yeah. definitely didn't track of what was going on i was just enjoying my life um, but yeah, I believe that was the first stuff that we do with Kevin. I don't remember if we recorded um, seven inch stuff first that ended up on the record too, or, you know, I, I don't remember the order, but yeah, I believe that yeah. was the first recorded stuff we did with Kevin. And Good Life is a, a European label. Ed Good Life actually was one of our early Patreon supporters of this podcast, which I, I geeked mm -hmm. out on. It was really cool mm -hmm. because... You know, in the in the late '90s, Good Life was really known for spreading the metalcore gospel, and it's really cool that you guys then were able to very early on have a release in Europe, which would allow the touring that I'm sure goes on today. Yeah, man, uh, dude, it was like a dream come true to be honest with you. Um, you know, and if I get long-winded at any point, like I said, I've never really done one of these. Just tell me to shut up. Oh, good. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, again, like we're taking our recordings, we're putting them in the mail, we're sending them out, you know, 
And uh, that's what you did at the time. And it was funny because, um, you know, Alan Landsman, I think you do, right? That was in Poison mm-hmm. the Well and until the end. So yeah. Alan lived with me and he was working with me at Eulogy. And uh, this is like a little side story. And we would always get CDs in the mail or tapes in the mail, you know, and um, sometimes we throw them out the window. Sometimes we love them, you know. And some of the ones I threw out the window, I regret today. But uh, <laughs> so that's another, that's a whole other story. But um, yeah. yeah, so we sent out our, we sent out our tapes and, you know, at this point you're getting phone calls, you're not really getting emails and stuff, or you're getting email on AOL maybe. Um, and Good Life hit us up. And at that time, Conquer the World, you know, I mean, it's Conquer the World, like literally one of the worst possible scenarios. Like at the, at the time, am I happy he put it out? Of course. I'm just, you know, like some dude from Florida, barely know what we're doing. So I was put our record. We go up and play with Earth Mover in Detroit, you know, like meet all of, end up being friends with everyone on Walls of Jericho forever. So like there's so much good that came out of it. Um, I think Jay from Elliot lived with Mike at the time. That's where I met him. And he was in by the grace of God. Not Elliot, what was Jay? No, no. What was the other band on um Empathy? Mm-hmm. I think he yeah, was he, on, he, he was then, in Elliot eventually. Okay. Yeah, and then by the grace of God. So, like, you know, he lived, lived with Mike at the time. Mike conquered the world. So, like, it was cool that we did that and we experienced everything. But, you know, the there was a lot of things that we we weren't really stoked about. So that's how Ed ended up, you know, putting out that record plus the first 7-inch over in Europe. And um, at first I was like, oh, this is awesome. So glad let's put our record over there. You know, like, it's cool. And then next thing you know, he's like, hey everyone really likes you guys um you want to go and tour in europe and i'm like well yeah sure why not and um so he's like okay and he found out the dates and he sent them to us he said yeah just uh you guys gotta buy some tickets for these dates you show up this day here you leave this day here and uh we'll pick you up at the airport you know and uh sure enough we're just like oh wow this is like the best thing that's ever happened to us and you know next thing we know we're over there in the first show. I probably almost shit myself. There's like a thousand people, <laughs> you know, like, dude, I'm no, seriously, dude. I was just like, how, what is this? Like, this is, it was, it was so much to take in. And, um, you know, I think that tour for us was like, yeah, I mean, you know, there was plenty of wet basements we're sleeping in. We have all those stories, you know, there was plenty of shows booked that were 26 hours away that we couldn't make. So we argued with the booking agent that we can't make it. You know, you know, like we just crazy stories. And uh, on that tour, we had like such a good response because of what Ed was doing with the record and, and what people were into. Like, I think Liar and Congress and those bands um, from that area, like they set up this amazing community that I to this day, like warms my heart, you know, like and then and we go over there and we're welcome as part of it. And uh, and then from there, you know, like on that tour. I mean, that tour got us the Agnostic Front tour over there. That's the next tour we did over there. So I think that putting that record over there was like, um, it was a really big deal. And honestly, like, I don't know if you guys know, but that's how we ended up on Rev from from a dude, Dominique, that was in France that um, knew Jordan. And um, I, dude, like, it was a really long story, but like somehow that dude got Jordan to listen to us and tell us what was going on over there. And that's kind of how we ended up meeting Jordan. Interesting. Yeah, um, it's, it's really like a series of events um, that, you know, it, it, most people probably don't know that, but like, 
you know, that's how that's how we ended up on Rev because this guy in France that who loved our band somehow was whether he was scouting for Jordan or friends with him or whatever it was, it ended up in his hands and we ended up on Rev. So one one thing I want to uh, talk about before we really get into the the Rev is. Uh, in the summer of like 97, we had a group of friends here from Orange County. This is right before like 18 Visions throw down that whole scene. That's mm -hmm. like the summer before all that exploded. And we had this group of mm -hmm. friends who drove to the East Coast and they're like, yo, we went to CBGB's and we saw this band and we saw Hatebreed and we mm -hmm. saw Endeavor and this and that. And it, it was, yeah. they came home and it was fucking crazy. And they brought back the my statement of life in a dying world seven inch oh and nice okay it fuck that that like changed a lot here in orange county i really believe and i think that that record really set a bar for late 90s layouts and and sound in a way i mean the the, the packaging the immigrant son did for that record to this day is fucking like insane with the the twine and the mm -hmm. the booklet and all that stuff but the the music also you know you can you can hear i mean literally you can hear some of those songs on the rev record but yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's i love the rawness of that record and the the perfect late 90s metalcore sound and the florida metalcore sound it's yeah. all if it, uh, that seven inch to me has to go in like a top five 90s hardcore 90s metalcore records um and so that particular record did that have anything to do with your transition to rev or was it more of you guys being in europe and being on good life um what do you what do you mean as far as the record being part of the transition like, like the uh, sound or yeah the whole thing like like was the was the martyr record more of your jumping point or was the my statement of life seven inch more of your jumping point do you think uh, in in europe or over here in just in your opinion in general like if you were to um, man i you know something like i feel like I definitely feel like it was martyr only because of the availability of the record. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Like immigrant sun record was great. Um, I love the layout. Sean is like one of the coolest people we ever worked with. He was, he helped us in so many ways. Um, but you know, could you get those records in Europe easily? Not so much. Um, just because at the time it was hard to get stuff over there sure. um, from here. And then vice versa, like, with Ed's records over here, um, it was a little easier for him to get his stuff over here because he was putting out like, you know, whatever other stuff that, that people wanted over here. I think he was doing abnegation and all this stuff or whatever. Um, so like, you know, his records, I mean, I eventually started distributing stuff over here through Eulogy. Um, but so I think just because of the availability of the record and of course, like no internet to hear it or anything, um the martyr record definitely was in more people's faces so by default it was um you know i think that that put pushed us to whatever whatever level we were at it pushed us a little bit higher um i think if you ask me which one is better overall definitely my statement in life between the layout the music um 
you know, but I mean, I do like Martyr. I think I wrote Martyr on an acoustic guitar, man. Like, it's really uh-huh. weird because I had, I was living with like five people and like, it was, I was just like, kind of, that's why there's so much like acoustic guitar stuff on there too. Um, and plus it's just me trying to be like hardcore mixed with rap metal, mixed with whatever else at the time, you know? Um, but yeah, I would say like Statement of Life 7 Inch, I think did well, but you know, that would have been nice if that was what people heard first that's why i was when you said that that was like one of the things that you guys like i don't know if that's when you heard it first or just kind of like started to pay more attention but for me that's a big deal because i feel like that's a good first foot forward you know um and i mean martyr too but like to me martyr was more about the lyrics and emotion and i think my statement in life I felt was a little more structured. Um, you know, as time went on, the songs, you know, we just learned how to be musicians. We learned how to record, um, you know, but I mean, none of the songs sound like in my head, you know, in my head, I had all like, you know, like the drummer from uh, obituary playing and, you know, this is going to sound sick. And then, you know, then my drummer is playing jazz solos in the middle of it. And, uh, <laughs> Which is fine. We joke about it all the time, but um, yeah. So I would, I yeah, I'd have to say that like, Martyr really got us more attention just because it was more available. You know, that's one of the reasons I put the My Statement of Life songs or one of them or whatever on uh, the Rev record because like that song was one of my favorites and uh, you know, not not as many people had heard it too. I don't think it was on CD and there wasn't streaming at the time. So yep. you know, yeah, Martyrs like, most- Martyrs on CD and. My statement yeah. of life is not on CD, and obviously, yep. that right there is going to get it in front of more people, for sure. And that is just by default at the time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, and it's so weird to compare. Like, if I ever talk to younger people, it's so hard to explain to them like how hard it was to get people to listen to your band, mm-hmm. you know, because like physically, like you can't just send them a link. It's like, you know, they have to hear it on a sampler, or you have to they have to be at a show, and that's why it was so important for me, like. I used to want to play a show with the most people possible. I didn't care if we get paid. I'd rather do that than pay $200 show in front of nobody because I would walk around outside to everybody, but Hey man, we're from Florida. We have this band. I'm not even going to tell you we're good, but you just watch us please. And, uh, or go to the mall during the day and talk to people that come to the show. And, um, you know, I mean, I wish if I had a band the way things are now, there's a lot of pros and cons. You know, I mean, it's saturated with how many bands are on the internet, but at the same time, you know, it's a whole lot easier to get better recordings and get your music out there. So, I don't know. It's pretty interesting to sure. me. Um, yeah. So at the time when this comes out on Rev, it sounds different than anything that had come out on Rev up to this point. That's what I was going to say. There's, yes. there's no, there was, I mean, there was, you know, bands that were leaned towards the more metallic sound you had ice burn mm. had stuff mm. and um you know i guess engine kid at points mm. into another you know could be considered metal at times but like not this kind of i'm mean, not like slayer sounding yeah you know, yeah and, and stuff and that's interesting that you say slayer and i had this thought in my head this morning is <laughs> i was listening to this record again and it's a very to me a very lazy criticism to to say that people don't like metallic hardcore because it's a slayer ripoff 
whether it be mm. Morning Again, Earth Crisis, whatever these bands are. And I understand, like, why? Why? Because we all loved Slayer, right? Anybody who's in any of those bands, you fucking love Slayer. Yeah, dude. I mean, and, that's... And, and that's maybe you even learned how to play guitar by like messing around with those mm-hmm. records. But I've just heard it so many times in the past fucking 30 years. Like, oh, they're just a Slayer ripoff, just regurgitated Slayer riffs. I mean, even in recent memory i i hear people say this stuff and so <laughs> i know dude Trust me. <laughs> so well, it's, many like times. Any, it, it's like with anything when it's not like to someone who doesn't listen to hardcore right just say at all mm-hmm. like a normal person at your job mm-hmm. they're gonna think it all sounds the same like you're gonna play them, yes. you know they're, you're gonna play them an ssd song and you're gonna play them a earth you know earth crisis and to them it's gonna sound the same we know that yeah. it doesn't and that's that's one of the things you know about hardcore is there's there's so many different varieties where stuff can be going on in the scene especially in the 90s like you said John before the internet like yeah. this wasn't like I'll fully admit like morning again I'm I'm from the east coast I'm from you know Philly area Jason's from yeah. Richmond DC like we at this point were entrenched in the whole like you know in my eyes floor punch so there's these whole different thing and then javier you know in orange county whole different thing going mm-hmm. on so when you're not as this is all a roundabout way of saying when you're not as well versed people i think tend to pick the lazy easy comparisons you know every fast hardcore band yeah, sounds like you yeah. today every melodic band sounds like green day you know it's like yeah yep. it's not really true yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm not gonna lie. I love Slayer. I, I mean, like, <laughs> anyone that would ever say that to me, like, I'm like, well, thank you. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny, like, listen, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. Uh, you know, when we were at the height of everyone in the band, Super Straight Edge, which I'm not, I haven't been for a while. Um, you know, probably the ongoing thing that I think some of my band members would get mad at is, you know the whole thing of when people say like will you always be straight edge and i'm like well i can't tell you always but i can tell you for a long time unless pantera or slayer wants me to play for them and and i have to drink to do it then i will do it and uh <laughs> that's how much i like slayer and pantera so uh you know and i that's why i used to tell people i'm like yeah you guys sound like a slayer rip i'm not i'm like that's cool man like i i'm just happy i was listening to my band i, I think people for me hardcore Dude, I'm not a good guitar player. Like, no bullshit. I can, I feel like I can write riffs. I can piece together songs really well. And I can place lyrics and sometimes write lyrics if I have to. Am I a great guitar player? No. So, like, hardcore for me, regardless of whether it was Youth of Today or Earth Crisis or anything, was just the, just how did it make me feel and what are the lyrics? And everything else was secondary. So, like, I always just let things roll off, you know, just like, okay, Slayer ripoff, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I would usually would just bring that into like a little bit of a conversation then start to get to know the person and talk to them about their band. And, you know, um, so yeah, I always, I agree that is definitely a lazy way to describe it. But like, if it was something that I didn't listen to, like a subgenre of hardcore, um, I probably would have to do the same thing 
and say, oh, yeah, that sounds like Ethan today. But it probably didn't, you know? Yeah. So, I, mean, I mean, I listened to, to it, but that's just an example, you know? To me, to me, I hear a lot of Slayer. I love Slayer as well, you know? And even, Slayer, at, the, yeah, yeah. even at the time of all this, it's funny because I was listening to, like, I got into Slayer around that time in the 90s, you know, in the 90s um, mm-hmm. through hardcore, you know, because people were were, were into it. So yeah. for me, it's, that's, that's my like way of comparing. But at the same time, I do understand that there's a lot more nuance to things. Like just yeah, I think yeah. it sounds like Slayer. It's like, well, no, I mean, you mentioned like, and I listen to obituaries, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. like I'm hearing, you know, obituary drums or, or whatever. Um, yeah, dude. It I definitely mean, sounds like you guys Florida. are from Florida. Like, dude, I, I literally used to go to high school parties and malevolent creation was playing people's backyards. Like I lived where they lived. Like I would, you know, like I saw where I lived. There was a club called plus five. That's where Marilyn Manson started. That's where this band collapsing along started. I saw that, you know, it was a small club. We saw offspring there, green day there. Like there was, um, I don't know. And, and it was crazy too back then because like, like strong arm was like one of our best friends, but they were Christian and we were like, totally not. And we all hung out together. We all went to each other's shows. Like, um, so I, I think the, I guess the thing I would take out of it, which I've talked to before is like, um, we were all figuring everything out at that time. Like there was, I mean, not that everything's defined now, but like, you know, like, we kind of just were figuring out what, like, what is this type of music? Everybody's doing different stuff. I mean, even Strongarm at the time, that's insane, the stuff that they were doing, you know? And um, just being from South Florida, so many good bands came out. And uh, there we all used to play together. We morning, I mean, Marty Gatt, Newfound Glory, Dashboard Confessional. I, I put that show on, you know? Like, there's, uh, yeah, so I think that it's it's just interesting how, like, certain places in the country would have more integration where people understand the different subgenres at that time. And then certain places it was more like broken up a little bit, but South Florida was like, that's probably one of my favorite things about down there is that we all just hung out if we played punk or hardcore, you know? I was actually going to say, it seems like at least from talking to you that you guys were a little more open-minded down there Mm -hmm. than maybe it was in the tri-state area if i'm being honest you know like it was very like yeah you didn't really see many shows where it was like the crazy line you know you'll see online the crazy 90s lineups of like you know bands like a metallic band and then sense field Mm. and then whatever Mm -hmm. i feel like that didn't happen as much in in the tri-state area at least by the time by mm. by the time of this record, maybe more in like ninety five, ninety four, but yeah, yeah. By the time well, of this, I, it was like everybody kind of had their lane. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think one of the reasons that South Florida wasn't like that, we didn't have the history or the numbers to have like people only going to certain types of shows um, to satisfy their need to go out to shows. You know, like if there was like a really good metallic hardcore show every weekend or something you know like maybe in the northeast there's always so many good shows going on so like if there was a certain type of stuff you're into you usually had something to go do in florida south florida was like i mean we drove from miami all the way up to melbourne if anywhere it was in that area was considered like okay yeah that's a local show you know you're two hours north two hours south um and and to make those shows like where clubs would have us play where there's enough people, you had to play with 
these other bands and like if you wanted people to play in your band and there's not like 20 people that play you know that listen that type like metallic hardcore like you got maybe like a couple people and then you got this guy that plays in a pop punk band that you might be able to convince to play in the hardcore band you know so it was uh i think it was out of necessity but also like we all just like en- enjoyed each other as people and um it, it brought you know i think it kind of just brought together south florida was very interesting at the time but i think the result the bands that came out of it show that everybody was kind of interacting with each other musically as friends and um you know it's it doesn't really have the same history as the northeast but it has its own history yeah Did and now any- i think things are more like south florida i feel like bands that are all different types now again seem to get get mm-hmm. along with one I agree. Other. people like it's like sort of like you were ahead of the curve a little bit i hey you know i think so um but you know like i said like uh, nothing was really thought out it was all just how we felt who we got along with um you know at the time like i was i was coming from i was kind of discovering myself like when i got out of high school you know because where i went to high school you know it was cool i was running around metal shows and all this other stuff but like I hadn't really been exposed to as much of the world as I would like to have been. So I was just pretty much like, oh, you have a punk band? You're playing in Miami? Yeah, I mean, I'm driving down there, you know? like, And me and my friends go down there. We meet people. Like, I was very interested in meeting people other than just, like, the people I went to school with. Because, you know, I hung out with a bunch of metal dudes, but, like, you know, that was about it. And most of them were knuckleheads. And uh, I had, like, this this thing where I needed more. And, uh you know, that's, I think hardcore gave that to me. Like when I heard Firestorm the first time, I like literally thought I was just going to go burn everyone's house down for no reason. Just, I was, it was just like so heavy in the lyrics. And I was like, oh man, I feel this, you know? And then, uh, yeah, but I guess that goes off on a tangent. So we're good. <laughs> Did you have any reservations about signing with, what was the band's uh, outlook on signing with Rev? Was it excitement? Were you fans of the bands on the label or were you uh, concerned um, about being a, square peg and a round hole as far as metal hardcore goes with the other records that they put out at the time um i'm uh okay so were we excited yes i mean is there a label you could have been on better than revelation if you're any kind of hardcore band at the time just like for you to feel like you are like you made it i guess you could say whatever that means to you um i was probably more excited than i could ever be like i don't think there's a lot of people that never get i mean dude i got to put out a record on rev and on equal vision like for one of my other bands so it's like to me like i'm just like man you know 19 year old 20 year old me like never in a million years would imagine that so um as far as like i think the reason i wanted to be on rev honestly was to stick out a little bit and plus it was rev and um i've never been afraid of sticking out like in a musical perspective because i think my take on it always and and you see this with with my label eulogy as time went on like i never listened to only one kind of music i always listen to different stuff so now everyone who likes in my eyes youth of today all these bands let's say they need like two metalcore bands for the gym who are they likely to listen to? Shy Halud, Morning Gun, Throne Rev. You know, and that was kind of my take at the time. I'm like, we could drive around, play with hardcore bands. Like, they're already going to know who we are. Like, I want, and you know, and one of the, it wasn't even like, how big can we get? Like, we were pretty motivated, like, with our lyrics, you know, being political at the time. 
to just get the message out there. And then how do you get the message out there? People who don't know it, you know, and that was not that they didn't know what straight edge was and what veganism was, but like the stuff that we were saying about at the time, like, you know, I mean, like there wasn't a whole lot of people, you know, thinking, thinking about some of the stuff that we were at the time. So like, I think it fit in with what I wanted to do. Like, yeah, I want to stick out. I want to have the respect of like, if Rev wants to play a record, I'm putting it out with him. Like, I couldn't ask for anything else. And um, and I definitely, I didn't mind being different because I, I wanted to reach out to people that I couldn't reach out to. You know, I think that's kind of was my goal all the time was like, you know, we were playing the music because we wanted to personally, but also because of the lyrics at the time. And my favorite thing was to play for a bunch of people that are going to yell at you, call you names, and then come talk to you after the show. Because that's kind of <laughs> it's the easy it's the easy way out to play to a bunch of vegan straight edge kids. Like, you know, like it's like, hey, you already know, you know, the five books you're supposed to read. Like, you have Firestorm. Like, you know, like you know what to do. But like these other people don't know, and that's that's how I learned. Like, I didn't know what being vegan was. I didn't know what being straight edge was until I found hardcore. And so, like, I wanted to go around and talk to people and. um it was great, dude, especially in Europe, I think. I think, um, like, doing that AF tour, like, we got offered an AF tour, you know, a lot of people would have shit themselves. Like, fuck, man, we don't want to open. I mean, dude, AF in Europe yeah. in, what, 95? Yeah. Like, you couldn't get a more hardcore band that was bigger that, you know, you start playing metalcore, people might just want to kill you. And, uh, but I was like, do I want to go with Vision, Maximum Penalty, Agnostic Front? Yes, of course I do. You know, oh damn, vision was have, on that too. <laughs> dude, it was maximum penalty, vision, and agnostic front. That's and wow. 35 shows. And, and you want to talk about <laughs> dreams coming true, dude? Dreams coming true, man. Like, I could not believe that I was going on that tour. I could not believe what a life experience it was. I mean, showing up in Switzerland and playing in front of a thousand people and selling like like over a hundred LPs, like you know, and then plus we had our people that knew us from Good Life in the first tour. So like, you know, but it was our opportunity to play to different people, and it was funny because Billy Milano was their tour manager at the time, and I think we had him vegan for like two days. You know, like the first twenty days, he was coming up to us, "What's up, vegans? You're gonna die from not eating and stuff," you know. And then like, <laughs> you know, he was vegan for like two days, we became friends with him, you know, and then that ended. Um, but like, dude, being able to hang out with Stigma for 35 shows and hear stories, dude, like, I can't, I mean, I, I think that that was a prime opportunity for us to get out to different people. And not obviously not everyone liked it. People still, like, some people were like, oh, hey, you guys suck, man. You better go eat some cows, you know. But, um, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, like, there's always good. There would be the people that knew us and maybe they brought some friends to the show and, uh, you know, that was very, we felt very accomplished, I feel like, on that tour, just getting stuff out to people. And the funny thing about it is, because I know we have to segue more to the Red Record at some point, but I wrote the Rev Record, probably half of it on the Agnostic Front Tour. Mm. Because we had an RV, like a little little Winnebago, and um, so we would wake up at the show instead of having to drive. So I actually had time to, like, exercise write music all day before the show and it was i mean I, we never got to do the professional band thing where you actually you know like you get to go drive through the night wake you know get there woken up not tired and write songs and um yeah so that's actually where i wrote most of the rev record was on that tour i was just like in a really good 
mindset and, and surrounded by a lot of different things, you know? I mean, dude, there's fucking Nazis at the shows all the time, too, because it, back then, over there, like, you know, they're coming to the shows. So, like, there was all kinds of emotions at that tour, you know? Like, it's a dose of reality, like, who's actually coming to these shows? Like, you know, and um, and, and, and what are they there for? And what are they going to talk to you about? And talking to the other bands and we made, I mean, we made a lot of, a lot of good friends on the tour between the bands and the people in that. So. And what year was that? Was that when the LP was out at this point? The red um, LP? I or no, you say, said you were writing, no. you said you were writing it on the yeah, red. I was so writing. It was right before, it was right before the red LP came out. Um, Probably when AF first so came the back Rev then, right? L yeah, so. I think it was, I think we were listening to Gotta 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 Go, that song. That was yeah. they we're listening to that because that was getting ready. So was it their first epitaph record or yeah, I think yeah, that was the record. return of yeah. They, that was them coming back. So that was definitely okay. like you said, that was I mean, that was prime prime time for because a lot of people oh, hadn't insane. seen them. And we were listening to that record while we were setting up merch every night, and because it was coming out. So um yeah, so that was um I will say the morning and story up until the rev records, much more exciting than it is once the record comes out because we broke up right after. So. <laughs> um, I was going to yeah. ask about that. I saw that on, it says it on Discogs. I'm like, you broke up in October 98. Do you know when, when it was released about? Like, I couldn't find a release date. Um, Man, I honestly, I can't remember. Um, I could tell you why we broke up. I could tell, you know, like, um, but we did put out a lot of stuff. And at the time I was writing the music, writing the lyrics, booking the tours, dealing with the finances, printing the merch. So, and doing my label. So like, you know, my, my time, my timeline gets a little skewed sometimes. Sure. I was going to ask too about what it's like for you writing the lyrics as someone who's not the front, you know, the front person, like, so you're, you're writing the lyrics, you're, you're getting your emotions out onto the paper yeah what was it like to have somebody else singing them and try and like bringing them to life um i mean for me it wasn't weird at all because i didn't want to sing i also didn't want to write the lyrics it was more necessity um i wanted to write some of them and then have someone else writing them and then placing them um you know like i could help with too but like it was more of a necessity like i think that at the time, um, you know, the relationship that I had with Kevin, um, you know, we had talked a lot about it and, you know, I think we just decided that I was going to handle most of it and put it together and as nice of a package as it could be. And I did have some stuff to say, um, but it wasn't weird for me at all because like, I, I, I think I just, I had to get it out and I feel like I can't, I mean, I didn't want to sing. I was more than happy just playing guitar. So like, luckily for me, I, you know, I don't, people, people that don't, know me you know they might be like oh like i think she's cool because he did all that stuff like i never thought it was cool i never thought it was the like i was never like i gotta write all this stuff and do this and you're gonna do this it was more like hey i i'm gonna do this now and uh this is how the songs are gonna be i really like placing lyrics that's like like you know putting the whole song together placing the lyrics um but you know bands that i've been in i i don't think kevin was like in the mindset of like hey like i have to write the lyrics or I'm, I'm worried about whether you're gonna write the lyrics or not so i think since we were both pretty chill about it um just kind of happened it was totally cool for me you know is there a message in any of the lyrics that you would want people to listen to other than 
the vegan and straight edge lyrics that you think holds just as much importance? Is there a song that comes to mind that is important that people um, hear the message in? Well, I mean, realistically, like, I think, I mean, I don't really want to pick like one song because like those songs are pretty much some of my most important things. But um, I, I mean, I think um, Dictation of Beauty at the time, um, you know, it dealt with people, you know, like magazine advertising, um, you know, putting a specific body image basically on like girls. Um, and I feel like that was something that, you know, Jerry and the band, he actually, I think he wrote a lot of lyrics for that song. That's the one song that I had help with. Um, I think that was really, I don't want to say ahead of its time because that sounds like so like snotty, but like, you know, we were trying to sing about stuff that's like, yeah, everyone knows what vegan is. Everyone knows what is. Like, what's what else is like really important? Like, this is fucked up. All these corporations are literally brainwashing you that you have to look this way. You have to get plastic surgery. You have eating disorders. Like, we started to become more aware of things like that. So I feel like that song was important. I feel like Stones, to me, was the most important because, like, you know, and, and I'm going to preface this by saying, like, I've never considered myself perfect, you know, like perfectly not racist, perfectly not homophobic. Like I grew up in a family that was super racist, super homophobic. I had to work really hard to unlearn all of that. So um, I feel like Stones at the time, there wasn't a lot of people talking about homophobia in uh, hardcore. And uh, I mean, I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, maybe I just didn't see it um and hardcore was very macho and including myself to some degree you know like i look back on it i'm like you know i i mean i feel like i've grown as a person the most the past like probably three to five years like since i had my son and uh you know like so you know i look back and i'm like man i wish i would done this i mean you know but like just not using certain words at the time like that was unheard of and like you know there and at the time i feel like uh you know, Stones, I think was really important because you have all these like big, tough, vegan, straight edge dudes coming to see us or whatever. And then you're like, yeah, this song's about homophobia. Like half the people are like, yeah, fuck that. We don't care about them, you know? So I think that was a really important song at the time. And, um, you know, I, I, my statement of life, like for me, that's, that's really important too, because it's, I mean, I think it's really just about like always fighting and being optimistic and like trying to keep yourself yourself. And, um, you know, that I always wanted to make the band more than just vegan and straight. It's more just like, Hey, what can we do to like kind of spread information and make people think, and we're definitely not perfect. You know, like I wasn't the, a perfect vegan or we always, I think even in the record, that record or one of them, it says, Hey, we're not perfect. We're just trying to get people to talk about these things. So, yeah, so Dictation of Beauty and Stones, I would say, were were pretty important at the time just because they were things that, like, you know, Stones, like, I mean, homophobia was, you know, pretty standard, I think, at the time. Yeah. And, like, in a lot of the scenes, whether people want to admit it or not. And, I mean, it's like, I mean, it was because that's just the history of our country. And, like, you know, I think I so I would say those two songs would be the most important message wise. Um, and then my statement of life also is just like a general message to just encourage people to do what they want to do with their life, you know? Yeah. Like I think just try to stick with it and, and tr have confidence, you know? 
I think what you what you said too about having to unlearn stuff that kind of ties into the title of the record as as tradition dies slowly, right? Mm-hmm. Like it that's change, exactly it. Change doesn't happen overnight. Because I'm like, like it, it's, it was refreshing to hear you say, like, I'm far from perfect as well. Like, I feel like I'm always yeah. learning and growing as a person. And the title definitely does, you know, tie into that as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was, you know, that was my goal with it as my son's walking up here. Hey, you OK, buddy? Yeah. OK. Um, you know, that and that's really it sums up with this, what it was about. It's like, you know, there were so many things that were like, yeah, we do this because it's our tradition. And even my family, like. Yeah, we put up with this because it's our family and, uh, you know, we do this because, you know, and it's just like, no, like you don't need to just do stuff because that that's just the way it's always been done. And this record was really like, here, here's a nice little collection of stuff. Um, I don't even think it was planned out great or curated anyway, just kind of like that's what landed, you know, when we wrote the lyrics. But at that point, it really was about like, I think we got less specific about like vegan strange or more specific about, Hey, wherever you're at in life, whatever you think could make you a better person, that's what you should be doing. You want you, anything that you're doing just because you feel like you have to, you don't have to do that, man. There's a whole different world out here. And, um, but it's funny though, cause I kind of cringe when I say that and like look back on it. And I mean, there's a lot of other ways in life that I was just a terrible person, you know? Um, and I mean, it's, it's, that's so like, there's things I could have improved on a lot more, but I, I think, um, I also learned recently not to be so hard on myself too, you know, like just kind of roll with it and, you know, unlearning is very difficult. And, um, I think that I was hoping this record would help people at least like think about it and, um, yeah, like, what, what do I need to do better with, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and like, um, you know, like you said, unlearning is hard. There was another band around this time had a record progression through unlearning. I mean, that's how, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Think mm-hmm. about it, but it makes sense. But I want to talk a little about the uh, the recording. I see it was done mm-hmm. by uh, Jeremy Staska, who has some interesting credits when I'm I'm looking over uh-huh. Discogs. He's <laughs> oh, done, yeah. He's done stuff. You don't even know. He's a done lot. stuff no. with the uh, aforementioned Marilyn Manson. Yeah, uh, yeah. Shai Halud, Poison the uh, Well, Culture, yeah. Poison the Well. Um, what was it like recording this album? You know, because it was with Rev, and I'm assuming, you know, at this point, Rev had some pull. You probably ha- had a half decent uh recording budget. You know, we we actually mm-hmm. just re- talked with um Damnation AD, and yeah. you know, same like they were able to actually take the time. To, to record, which maybe you weren't able to do as much on the seven inches because of monetary yep, restrictions. Yep. What was that like? Yep. 100%. Well, yes, you're 100% spot on all of it, but I feel like this is actually really interesting from a musician standpoint, um, this recording of this record, because this record, Jeremy Stoska used the money to buy Pro Tools. It was his first Pro Tools recording. Wow. Which, if you think about it and look back, you know, we were doing reel to reel and we were punching in and you couldn't do all the tricks with the drums and everything else. So um, while we we did have more time, which is true, which helped a lot. Um, it was also some things were easier and some things were harder because it was a whole new way of 
recording, like now you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, Pro Tools are way easier than going real to real. But when you only did real to real for so many years, and all of a sudden this dude's got a computer in front of him, and he learned how to use the program while you're recording, um, you know, all of a sudden you're like, oh, like what do you mean? What do you mean? He's like, oh yeah, well I could do this and this, and so um, it was definitely having the time to do it properly was was a a big plus to this record. Um, the only downside I would say it would be, it, I mean, it sounds good. sounds like it does. Cause it was pro tools record. We were able to do some different stuff, but like, we also were kind of the guinea pigs on our rev record. And, uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a mixed, I think it's a mixed, uh, review for, for both ways, you know, with that studio experience, like it was good, but it was real weird switching from real to real to pro tools. So is there stuff you hear on it where you're like, ah, I, I wish it wasn't like oh, this? Oh, man, or... dude. I mean, is there any record I played on that I don't hear that? Like, I mean, usually I people mean... are their own worst critic, right? Like, Yeah, and I mean, also, too, like, again, like, I don't ever consider myself, like, some great guitar player. So there's always, like, nonsense extra noises everywhere and stuff, too. Like, I literally learned how to play guitar just to be in a band and, and have fun and stuff, you know? Like, And I love playing guitar, too, but um you know i always wanted to play in a band i never was worried about being the best guitar player shredding anything like that and uh i probably I, you know i probably could have been much better than i was but um i don't know i i think that uh i i listen back and on that record and i feel like it's uh the drums on it are nothing like i really wanted them to sound like because our drummer at the time was very stubborn which is fine um so there's not as many tempo changes in the songs that there were supposed to be there's supposed to be more drastic tempo changes in like seasons the second song um so i think that's the stuff that annoys me the most it's not really production stuff it's more um you know the way that i think we executed the songs but again that was a long time ago and we didn't really know what we were doing so we did the best we could so for the layout of the record, Richie Birkenhead from mm -hmm. Underdog and Into Another did the layout for this one. Uh, what are your memories of working on the layout with Richie and what is the cover photo of? Well, I think working out on the layout with Richie was pretty much like if uh, a 12 year old girl had Taylor Swift sing on their song. <laughs> um, no, I'm serious. I was like the dude from Into Another. Like, are you serious? I get to talk to him on the phone. Like, I'm not even joking. I was so excited. I didn't care what it looked like as long as he did it. Um, so, you know, and, and and we wanted to try to do something different than we had done before. Not necessarily that it would be better or anything, but, um, and, and to be honest with you, like, this kind of comes to where, like I said, we broke up after the record came out. Um, I was writing the music, writing the lyrics, recording it, booking the recording time, paying for the van, booking the tours, you know, doing all this stuff. So like at this point I was like pretty dried up creatively. Like there's only so much I could do. And, um, you know, I think Richie just kind of, you know, read the lyrics and read the title and said, Hey, like, what do you guys think of this? Um, you know, and he kind of gave us idea and then showed it to us. I was like, you know what? I like, I feel like, I mean, I, I feel like it matched the record somehow. I don't think it's like the coolest layout I've ever seen. Um, I do like it, but I think at the time I wasn't going to come up with anything better. And um, it was, it felt like it fit with the music and it also 
you know, at the time, I think it would catch people's eye, even though it's not crazy. Like, it's nothing crazy, but, you know, this record coming out on Rev, people were like, hey, what is this? And it kind of like uh, angry metalcore band. Like, yeah, that makes sense, you know? So, but I, I mean, I, I feel like working with him, though, like, he also, I'm sure, wasn't like a fan of the band, you know? So I think he did the best that he could under the circumstances. And I, I mean, from what I know, everyone was happy with the results. So, yeah. Did um so working with Rev, did you um did you carry over anything that you learned from working with them into your late you know into eulogy into the way you uh you know maybe did it change the way that you looked at at running a label? Um, with Rev, um. I mean, I think anything that came from Rev would have been, I mean, a lot of the reason I started label was because of negative experiences I had with labels. Um, with Rev, for the most part, it was positive. And uh, so I did take a lot of positive things and there was a lot of things that they did for us that that was the biggest label we've been on. So, um, you know, they were doing different stuff like promo wise and just in general. And uh, for the label, I always had to learn. I didn't, you know, and so I think I did learn a lot from that. So um i think that that had from like a, a, a logistic standpoint and just like the way the label was structured and operated i probably learned the most from rev um as far as being motivated to do the label for different reasons it would have been from other labels sure if makes that makes sense, sense. Yeah, yeah yeah i was just saying like if you if you took any of the way that you know rev handled oh, yeah. things and went mm-hmm. oh that this is a good idea and and for sure and it sounds sure. like you did so you know you, you can, you can be influenced rev, you, know? you know as a reactionary yeah. thing saying that yeah. i don't like the way this label handled this i'm going to do it mm-hmm. different or you can say i like like with rev i like the way they did this that's how i'm going to carry it on yeah. so i mean rev at the time like you, i mean unless we wanted to go to just like try to be like a metal band which a lot of bands were doing at the time like which i wasn't ready to do at the time even if i wanted to like my head just wasn't there it was more just you know still like politics and stuff um but yeah i would say that a lot of the way that rev did things i learned and and i applied to eulogy for sure and i'll always be grateful i mean when we signed our deal with sony with eulogy down the line rev handled all of our u.s distributions for like smaller stores Mm -hmm. yeah so like you know, I mean, me, there's a couple of times me and Jordan had issues, but, you know, I was young and angry and uh, he had people working for him. And there was one guy that probably should never work there. Um, but other than that, everyone else we worked that I worked with there. Amazing. The way Jordan is amazing. Jordan's probably the most honest person I've ever met in the music business. Um, he's always was so supportive of whatever he wanted to do. He never tried to change anything we were doing. Um, I, I couldn't say enough good things about him, honestly. Like. I think that that was like the label at the time. Cause what else did you have victory? And it's like victory might've got your band out to a few more places, but you're sold your soul, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now you, which, right which <laughs> I mean, which I mean, I'm not saying I would have sold my soul either, but you know, like I felt, I always felt good. I mean, why do you think these records are coming out on rev now? Like, do I think anyone that listens to rev music wants to hear more again? Probably not, but you can get the records everywhere. We respect yeah. them. We know that he's not going to try to distort what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I mean, and he's honest, dude. Like, he's, like, you don't ever have any surprises, you know? Sure. Well, Hoff? Yeah, John, listen, 
I know you're not really a podcast guy, but we got this thing on this Ooh. podcast called Hot Tracks. Hot Tracks! Where, oh, no. yes, where we talk about our favorite record, our favorite song on this record. So for us, it'd be our favorite song to listen to, but for you, it could be your favorite song to play the song that you have like the best memories of mm-hmm. or, or whatever. So we're going to give you a couple minutes to think about it while we kick our hot mm-hmm. tracks first. We'll do you last. I will go first since I'm the resident metalcore expert okay. here. Hey, I got to say, if I'm going to make a mixtape of the best nineties metalcore songs right now, uncivil hands is going on that list it's my hot track on the record and it's my it's it's just a fucking banger of a song i can just i i i didn't get to see morning again in its heyday but i can judging by photos and just the general vibe at the time i can just imagine the fucking crazy pile on people screaming along to that song when you played live like basically every time right and still to this day if you guys are playing like mm-hmm. Eber Fest or whatever that's yeah. the fucking track awesome yeah i and we still play it to this day so there you go <laughs> yeah yeah lasting yeah, we, lasting effect oh dude like that yeah i i mean i appreciate you saying all that stuff too because i respect your opinion on on these things and like um i i do think that's the reason why that song has reappeared and, and we still play it is uh i felt like it was a very important song and it's just one that hit the way it needed to hit you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so jason yo i see you burning burning desire to talk about your hot track dictation ah. of beauty nice dictation of beauty is my hot track it's funny i i like that uh when you talked about it earlier in our conversation because lyrically i think lyrics are important and i those lyrics did connect mm-hmm. with me but not only that, I thought the harmonics were sick that led the into the song and then also nice. come back at the end of it. So <laughs> that is my hot track. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. And we pulled off the harmonics. Like I again, I wasn't like some guitar master. <laughs> you know, we just kind of we were playing in practice probably, and it worked out. And we're like, yeah, let's do this. I like this. It's different. So yeah. So Greg. mine, mine is same thing with Jason with as far as le- the lyrics, because again, like this, you know, this was not my lane of of hardcore i i didn't experience this um while i was you know while it was going on in real time but Mm. i think much like another song that you mentioned mine is stones i feel like Mm. if anything it's almost more topical now and i can only imagine i don't know if you're still in florida uh i'm not but it is okay um florida (laughs) florida being florida and you know just the terrible political uh climate down there to to have a song like Mm -hmm. uh to have a song like stones especially in the 90s when like you said i'm not perfect i know there was a lot you know it was an era where people used a lot of of words that they wouldn't use Mm -hmm. now um and and things like that and we're we're all you know trying to work through and and grow um and i think Mm. a song that really tackles homophobia um head on like that coming from a band that's 
metal, you know, I'm using the quotes because mm-hmm. like, you know, you're still hardcore band. Yeah, 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 yeah. A metal is a scene that's notoriously pretty homophobic. Uh-huh. Um, was punk as hell to, to yeah. do that. Um, and Don't definitely wait. took uh, took guts, which I, I appreciate admire. that. And um, so I think that's for sure my hot track. We could do. I appreciate we do. We caught a lot of heat for that, man. I almost got a few fights for that song. Um, is weird, but uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't see it as an option not to ever not say stuff and push people's buttons. I mean, I've done that for my whole life in different, you know, in all areas of my life. I don't know if that's good or bad, but um, you know, like sometimes. I mean, uh, if you're not pissing somebody off, you're not really doing something worth doing. If it's musically, like if you're a vegan stranger, you know, like a political hardcore band, like that's what you're there for. You're not there to be like, hey, we're just going to play the exact same stuff. Like you're there to get people to talk. And and uh, we definitely got a ton of backlash. But like for me, that song was like, I have a lot of friends that this is this is who they are. And then I have a lot of friends who are you know in the hardcore scene or punk scene and they're saying these terrible things about my other friends uh-huh. and everybody you know what i'm saying and and it just i got to a point i'm like yo like this is something that's very like close to us especially in south florida like um you know that was there was there's so many different people from different countries and you know and it was just a, a nice melting pot in any way you can put it and um and again like as i look back and i'm like definitely was not perfect in any way but i knew i had these friends i knew i had these friends i knew everyone needed to talk about this and well also that was the easiest way for me you know like that's how i got people to talk about it's like they say the best way to learn is to teach so it's almost like by you writing those lyrics and getting that out there it's also beneficial for you because it helps you grow well yeah and i think um you know, even hearing myself talk about stuff whenever you like, you know, you kind of, yeah, you do kind of hear yourself talk about it and be like, hey, do I really like understand this as much as I think I do? And, um, you know, I got, I, I mean, when I, this was definitely the most political time in my life, like my 20s. Um, and then from there, like, you know, there's certain things I still believed in that are, you know, basic values that I've worked hard to to try to improve on but then you know i stopped being vegan at a certain point i stopped being straight edge and uh you know but i still have conversations with people about that stuff and um but yeah i definitely just going back to it though i feel like that was one of the most important songs um on the records was stones and uh dictation of duty for sure like lyrically um so john what's your hot track your ultimate hot track on this record I, it's stones, man. Like, uh, we still play it. Um, I'm pretty happy with the way the music came out. Um, you know, you know how it went from, it sounded in my head onto recording. Um, I feel like the lyrics were super important or super important at the time. They're still important. Um, I, I definitely would have to say that's my favorite, but, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of other songs on there that I could probably put a close second too but i think that's i think that would be my favorite overall nice and uh one last thing you guys mm-hmm. had another record come out on revelation in 2022 i mean in 2020 2018 2018, 2018 well yeah. 
2018, you had a, a seven inch or a four song yes. EP come out, and those songs appeared on Borrowed Time. Does is, is that come out in 2022 or in 23? For Borrowed Time? The Yeah, yeah, that- Borrowed Time. Borrowed Time literally is just coming out now. Okay. On like, uh, on Discogs that says 2022. Month, yeah, that's oh, what okay. threw me off well, too. Yeah. It was supposed to, but like pressing okay. plants have been backed up for so long. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think we literally um I'm honestly like not trying to sound like a cool guy. I'm not on social media much. Uh, when I am, I'm watching videos of like animals knocking each other over. <laughs> um so you know, like I think the record comes out this month. Um, and I think that was the soonest it could get out with the way the vinyl was between, yeah. you know, the crisis <laughs> in, in Ukraine affecting all the pressing plants in Europe uh-huh. and uh, COVID. Um, so that came out. And the reason why um, the seven inch from Rev is on there on the other side um, was just because a lot of people didn't get it in Europe. Mm-hmm. at the time when it came out um and you know we have like a pretty big audience in europe that goes beyond rev um you know like more me- like metal kids and stuff like that um which is why we we put it out with dead serious over there just to try to be, have people be able to get the record a little bit more but um that that seven inch that came out in whatever 2018 like you know we felt like since this was coming out on 12 inch and we had a whole side we could use we just had to convince jordan to let us do it and uh, so that i mean also like if people are going to spend money just give them more stuff i mean to me i think anyone who's a musician probably hates me but i said this like 10 years ago like i don't think like i think music is more of a promotional tool than a revenue tool if you want to talk about business wise and um you know and i feel like putting that on the other side of the record just gives people more value value when they buy the record and shows them that they appreciate that they're still buying your record like and i will say this thank you so much to jordan for letting us do that because he has a stack of seven inches still and um you know they'll sell eventually but he didn't have to let us put it on there he just said nope not until you know and and he let us and uh again that goes to, to to talk about you know how how much jordan and rev really are grounded and stayed grounded this whole time Awesome. And one last thing, speaking of Rev, yeah. uh, and even without that Morning Again 7-inch, this is not your last appearance on a Rev record, right? Like, do we, uh, aren't you on the Where Fear and Weapons Meet 7-inch? I was, album? yeah. I mean, I'm, I wrote all that stuff, yeah. <laughs> so um, so, th- the so hopefully the this record. isn't this isn't the last time we'll be speaking to you then because we, uh, <laughs> we, we've got those records oh, yeah, coming up too. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, that is uh oh I'm more than happy to talk about those. Yeah, that's uh that's an interesting time too because um we'll get to it, but you know, we were doing a lot of stuff that's when Newfound Glory was coming up a little bit more and we were playing shows with them and in Dashboard and uh and trip against authority, they're from Miami, you know. Mm-hmm. Our drum yeah. our drummer Jason's good friends with them. Um and then we were up in the northeast playing show. We did a week tour uh with vision because i had met them on the agnostic front tour so where fear and me ended up going on tour with vision for you know a week um i think you so, played yeah. the first posse numbers fest right did you play in Wolf's probably Fair? i probably i know we played one of the youth of today shows in connecticut uh we played a lot of really cool shows we played some floor punch show in dc i mean like you know it's uh so yeah that's another discussion but i'll definitely down to yeah. talk about that for awesome. sure that was awesome. uh 
Yeah, it was cool, man. That was, you could hear some uh, poorly written fast hardcore songs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. Well, thanks for taking your time cool. out of your day to join us. And um, we will talk to you sooner yeah. than later. Yeah, thank you, guys. I mean, like, honestly, like, I know it sounds weird, but this is uh, this meant a lot to me. And it's a lot of fun for me because this isn't something I really do very often anymore um so i enjoyed this very much and thanks you guys for taking the time to do this so people can actually you know know about the bands on a different level for thank sure. you thank you thanks for the okay. kind words thanks guys Bye. see ya what's up everyone javier here just wanted to um, give a quick bit of bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Ryan Walker, Ryan White, Tad Payton, Tim Shear, Tyler of the Life and Death Brigade, and Siren Records. Listen, if you're interested at all in helping us, or you want to access some bonus material or whatever the reason we would love to have you as one of our patrons. So head over to whereitwentpodcast.com, get some information about that. And um, yeah, I don't know. Otherwise we will see you when we see you on the next episode. Bit of bow. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>